Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Our guest today, Stephen Arterburn. Thanks for being with us, Steve. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. You know, in this week following the American Thanksgiving, I can say thank you, Lord, for making Steve Arterburn our friend. So glad to have you always. And thank you, Lord, for the anointing on Steve and the people he works with to produce great books. And they really are great books. Steve is a prolific author, has sold millions of copies of content that literally changes people's lives. And he has a new book out together with his friend David Stoop. It's called Take Your Life Back, published by Tyndale Momentum. Mm -hmm. It is a great story that, well, plums truth right out of the story of the prodigal son and makes it real and applicable with fresh new understanding for the here and now. So, Steve, we're here to talk about your new book. Thanks for coming alongside. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. I always love being with you and uh, the people that you have listening. So thanks for letting me be here. Well, our privilege. And when we come back, we're going to dive right into this new book, Take Your Life Back. And we're going to talk about shame, which figures prominently in the story of the prodigal son, how shame can actually hold us hostage. Stay with us. One of the most famous passages of Scripture in the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is found in Luke chapter 15. The words of Jesus telling a story, a parable as we say, about life, about God, about his relationship to those he has made in his own image, about forgiveness and grace, about folly. I mean, it's all there. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It's familiar to many of us, but for today's purposes, I just want to pull out a few verses out of the narrative uh, that talk about shame, because when you understand the story of the prodigal, you have a young man who is in the pursuit of his own will and way. He is not concerned about his family. He's not concerned about his father. He wants his inheritance up front uh, prematurely. He squanders the whole thing. And then he has a moment where he realizes this is a dead end, and he makes a decision to go back home. Here then, this the reading of the scripture from Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 13. A few days later, after talking with his father and receiving his inheritance, this younger son packed all of his belongings. He moves to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. One of the verbs in that sentence that just really pierces me is he wasted. And I Mm. think about how much of my life I've wasted. Mm. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Here we see this guy who had plenty of money in his wallet. Now it's all gone. He's humbling himself. Uh, He has to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything to eat. And when he finally came to his senses, this is verse 17, he finally wakes up. He kind of smells the coffee. He says to himself, (laughs) At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, but I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And right there, I see this young guy suddenly putting on a coat, and it's mm. the scarlet letter. It's mm. shame. It's the mark of the beast. It's, it's everything dark and unseemly, and mm-hmm. in fairness, he's earned that coat, <laughs> But still now, it's framing everything he does next, even as he hopes Mm. that he'll get a break. And And that's where you start helping us, Steve, take our lives back. Well, I think so many of us have worn that coat, and we've worn it for too long. And, you know, um, the Lord did not come 
to condemn us, but to set us free, to help us take that coat off. And I was watching this uh, film on the Exxon Valdez oil spill, and they, were, uh, they had Dawn dishwashing liquid, and they were cleaning off this bird that was just covered with this black sludge and tar. And I saw that, and I looked at that bird, and I said, wow, that used to be me. And it wasn't the black sludge of oil and tar and all those things, but it was shame. I was controlled by shame. Shame was a power greater than myself. And everything I did was saturated with shame. I felt like that it was my job to show God that no one had ever felt worse about what I had done than me. I had paid for an abortion, didn't really understand all of the ramifications of that until about three days afterwards. And then I realized, oh my goodness. This abortion was about your child. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, um, I, I came to understand pretty quickly that what I was supposed to do was provide and protect the life I had helped create but I destroyed that life. And so the shame, I thought, you know, this is beyond forgiveness. And so I set out to prove to God that I felt horrible. I lived in that shame. And then I heard Chuck Swindoll one day say that, you know, your life just ended one second ago, your past. Why live in it? Why, why live in that old life that just ended? And so I began to take my life back from that shame and realize that it was Satan that was really excited about me living in shame because I was never going to do anything for anybody except wallow in my shame and allow Satan and the shame to control me. So I began to clean up. I didn't have Dawn dishwashing liquid for the soul, but that's what God's grace was. And that's what the healing power of, of folks that came around me and people that I sought out and got counseling from that's how I took my life back, and I, I want other people to do that. Because if you are living in shame, and sometimes it's not because of something you did, like me. Sometimes a person has put that shame on you. Uh, they have shamed you growing up. They've, they've made you feel horrible and inferior, and that was not God. And even if maybe it was done by a representative of God, that is not what God wanted for your life. You could be a victim of a sexual assault, oh, or you right. could be made fun of or belittled by yeah. someone else who was insecure. But all of that can put that coat of shame on right. us. And Steve, when you're living in that clothing, yeah. when you're preoccupied, for instance, in your own story, you're preoccupied with what you've done, you're disappointed with yourself, you, you're actually angry and self-loathing as a consequence of, well, why did I do that and so yeah. on and forth. How does that impact your life going forward as long as you wear the coat? I'm going to guess mm -hmm. you would say that changed the way I reacted to other people or how I defined sure. my relationships. Well, you know, um, I set out uh, after doing some work to make restitution and to really uh, resolve and restore some relationships. And it was only until I had completed that task of making restitution where I had hurt people that I finally was able to look people in the eye. I, I couldn't even look someone in the eye. I was so full of shame. What God really wants for us is godly sorrow. He wants us, yeah, feel bad about what you've done. Feel so bad that you want to make it right. Make it right with other people. Make it right with God. Repent. Turn away from it. And when you do that, you don't have to live in it anymore. That is, that is just one of the most fantastic things about Christ. You know, when people say, I just don't like 
Christianity. I just that well, what part don't you well, like? What's not to like? The grace part, the fact that you don't have to pay the full penalty of your sin, the fact that you, that God, who loves you so much, found a way for you to come join him in heaven. What part, well, when you find out what part, it's actually, well, there were some Christians that they didn't particularly care for, but if they really knew what the Christian faith was about, it's kind of hard to find anything not to like. When we come back, Steve, I want to explore a little bit more about how do we get out of that code of shame? What are the steps we can take? How do we just move forward? Yeah. Stay with us. Thank you. 
As you're listening today, you might have a question, a comment, an idea. We want you to know we're always glad to hear from you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is our toll-free number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. I'll give you the number again at the end of our broadcast, but for now, no. Give us a call. We want to hear your voice. Our guest today, Stephen Arterburn, we're talking about some of the truth found in his new book, Take Your Life Back. And today we're talking about shame and how that can really compromise our ability to live life in a whole and joyful way. What can I do, Steve, if I'm just haunted by my past and I know Mm -hmm. what I've done is not right and I just feel like it stalks me and it haunts me constantly? How do I get out of that? Well, uh, you know, you have to reverse this shame cycle and I'll I'll run through it real quick quickly because people might relate to this cycle. But if you have shame, you're living in shame, you feel different from other people. So uh, you try to hide that difference and you essentially create a false self. Uh, and if you're living in a false self out of shame, when somebody you know tries to compliment you or say you're great or they love you, you don't ever feel that. You, you, um, you are always thinking, well, if they only really knew me, and so we want to get to that real self. But anyway, you hide, you cover up, create the false self. Then you kind of isolate from other people. And if you're isolating, you're not learning new skills to relate to people, connect as an adult. So then you become a little bit awkward with other people and anxious. And then people aren't really drawn to you. So guess what? You feel different. And the whole thing repeats. And so, I deserve it. Yeah, right. So rather than when we feel different, hiding, we have to open up. We have to find a safe place, a safe person where we can open up. Say, look, I feel different. Why, why do I feel different from other people? That person can say, hey, let's look at the shame in your life. And then maybe say, oh, I'm, I don't have shame. It's anger. I'm just full of anger. Yeah, well, let's see why. Most likely at the root of that anger, something was taken from you uh, and you, you live in the shame of that, uh, whatever it was that you're lacking now. And rather than isolate and hide, let's open up. Let's try to find community and what I call redemptive relationship in everywhere that we can find it. And it's in redemptive relationship that we come to uh, see that we're no better or worse than other people, that God loves us, not the idealized us, but truly loves that ugly part of us and uh, and knew that it was going to happen and provided for us, made a great provision through Christ to take care of that. So we don't need to walk in shame. In fact, the more we walk in shame, the more our lives are absolutely wasted. And God wants us to step out of that and step into his grace so that we can be about the business of building his kingdom. If I'm feeling shame, all I'm focused on is how I feel, what I did, how I looked versus responding to God so I might be able to reach out to you, meet your need, or at least connect with you in the moment of your need. And that's where life is found, yeah. in those connections. You know, the Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still acting out in negative ways, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. Yes. He loved us anyway. Yeah. I, I like to think sometimes that God knows everything about me, and He loves me anyway. He does. <laughs> in and, spite of it. I mean, that is so liberating. And, and when we are free, when we don't have this baggage we're walking around with, we can see below the surface. We can see the needs of other people. You know, I, I wish this had happened before I wrote the book, but it didn't. My son Solomon, who is 10 years old, he's a very wise soul. 
And uh, he came home from school the other day, and he said, Dad, a bully called me a three-word dirty name. I said, wow, what did you do? He said, well, I waited a couple of minutes, and I went over to him, and I said, hey, are you okay? I said, you did that? That's a pretty smart response. <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, well, what did he say? He said, I don't want to talk to you. I said, okay, well, then what did you do? He said, well, I waited five more minutes, waited for him to calm down. I went back over. I said, hey, you okay? Do you need a friend? Dad, I became a friend with a bully at school today. Now, Solomon is 10. He doesn't have a lot of baggage. He doesn't have a lot of shame. So he could look at the need there rather than being defensive or taking it as an insult or whatever. It's just such a great example of when we're free, we actually can do some work for the Lord with grace and love and kindness versus if we're not free, it's all about us, all about defending ourselves, all about trying to make ourselves look good, especially in our own eyes. And back to the prodigal son story, this young man who had so much shame, when he makes a decision, I'm just going to give at a chance. I'm going to just turn towards home and just see if my father will just receive me at any level. He experiences the embrace, the gift of God's grace, and we can too. And everything else plays out then. He gets new clothes. He gets a new coat. A celebration. And I believe that that same celebration occurs in heaven when any of us come back. And, you know, as, as we said in a previous time, this young man, he didn't like fall to his knees and and have this great experience of transformation. He was hungry, and he just came to his senses. People back at Dad's place that are his servants are eating a lot better than I'm eating here with these pigs. And that was his motivation. I don't care what your motivation is. God can use that motivation. You know, I ask people all the time uh, to surrender whatever it is they're holding on to. And then I say, now, if you can't surrender it, how about this? How about just complying with some things that have worked for other people. Like maybe you're not ready to do anything that's emotional or spiritual, but maybe you could say, okay, what I've been doing hasn't worked. This has worked for some other people. Just comply with that. Follow a different set of rules than you've been about, and you just might discover that you have taken your life back, and it is a fantastic life that you're starting to enjoy to live rather than being the person who's always wondering. I say uh, living on the edge of almost, almost transformed, almost serving God, almost experiencing the grace of God. Almost happy. Yeah. But never never there. Yeah. Just turn around and look in a new direction. Mm -hmm. Look towards God. Right. And you can find a way forward. Yeah. I want to invite everyone who's listening to us today. Maybe there's been something said in this conversation that strikes home for you. And uh, in this holiday week and the Christmas holiday is around the corner, you may be especially stressed out about what other people think and what your family's going to do and what are you going to do and how are they going to judge me and so on and so forth. Just take a moment with us now. Take a deep breath and just pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you love us. Knowing everything about us, you love us still. And you long for us to be free, to be whole, to be content and to find life in helping others. And we're thankful for the teaching of Jesus. We're thankful for this new book, Take Your Life Back. Thank you for this conversation, and I pray that you use all of these things. You'll weave them together for all who are listening, that we might, as this year draws to a close, find life and be able to unload our shame and find freedom in you. 
We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer, and I ask now that everyone who has joined us in this prayer will in some way supernaturally in the week to come find a doorway to life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the
Now, if you'd like to know more about how you can understand life through coming home to God, if you'd like to know more about how you can just set down your shame, if you want to know more about this Jesus guy we keep talking about, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're by the phone. We want to hear from you. If you prefer, just go online, check out our website, CBH, that's Christians Broadcasting Hope, viewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email. We will reply. Or at the last, just send me a letter by post. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use Surface Mail, let us hear from you. As always, Steve Arterburn, I learn when I'm in company with you, and I have a smile on my face. Not many people can do that. Thank you for being with us. No, thank you, Jim. God bless you. And we thank all of you who've tuned in with us this week. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to dive in a little deeper to this book called Take Your Life Back. It's a great read. And if you'd like to get a copy, we want to put one in your hands. Be sure to let us know. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.